So tonight, if you want to go ahead and turn to your in your Bibles to Psalm 90. On your in your Bibles or in your app, Psalm 90. So I've mentioned we're going to do the sword method. I'm not going to be preaching tonight, but we're going to observe a passage together. The sword method is what we use in our discipleship groups. It is a fantastic discipleship tool. If you are um, like me and some passages scare you or you just, you just want to get them right, especially in a discipleship relationship or when you're really saying the Bible at all, you want to get it right. Um, and so the sword method is kind of bumpers for that in that you're just asking four questions of the text. What does this passage say about God? What does this passage teach us about man, about sin or sins to avoid? And then lastly, commands to follow um, or obey and examples to, uh, to follow. So that's what we're going to ask of this text tonight in Psalm 90. I love the sword method. My previous experience with um, small group ministry was really everyone got in a circle and it was a person, a man who would give like a little sermonette or um, of a Bible study of what we either talked about that Sunday or just a Bible study. And when it came to reproducing that, that was hard for me because it was kind of personality-led, and I didn't really, there was really no tools used. So the sword method was a, is, is a great tool to, that is reproducible, that is um, easy to follow. I love what Trey says, it's affordable. So really, it's a great way to, to make it easier to be faithful to a passage um, to a discipleship relationship. So I want to kind of just flesh that out tonight um, with you with Psalm 90. So we're going to write it on the board. Tolly, would you mind helping me? <clears throat> Thank you. This is my wife, Tolly. So everyone's like, oh, you're, okay, now I know who he is. She sings really good. She does. Yeah, she didn't write God, man, we'll do the titles. So Psalm 90 is a really unique psalm in that it is the only psalm attributed to Moses. I think that's pretty cool. So Moses being the oldest author of the Psalms, if it was chronological, if Psalms were chronological, it would actually be Psalm 1, which is pretty, pretty unique. I think it'd be wise for us to know a little bit about Moses and kind of the context historically before getting into it. So I'm just going to spend about one minute on bringing us up to speed on what we know about Moses. Okay, so Moses was introduced to us in Exodus 2. Uh, he's in Egypt. And if you remember the Joseph story, Joseph's brothers sold Joseph into slavery to Egypt. So Joseph is there. His brothers, there, there's a famine, and his brothers have to go to Egypt to get food to survive. And they found out that not only their plot to get rid of their brother failed, but Joseph flourished in Egypt. Long story short, Joseph forgives his brothers, forgives his, um, his family for doing what they did to him, and they, he brings them into Egypt. So now we have Israel in Egypt, and they're growing like crazy. So in Exodus 2, they're growing so much that the Pharaoh says, okay, here's a decree. I, I cannot be overthrown by the Israelites. Any boy born to the Hebrew people is to be cast into the Nile. That's crazy, right? Like, just think about that. I think we, I think we know that story, but really when you think about that decree, the king of Egypt, and this is, this is our land, but then you just hear, if you give birth to a boy, throw him in the Nile. That's, that's so wild. That's so wild to think about. Um, I, I don't doubt that there were probably some mommies and daddies who said that's, that's not happening. And uh, so there's probably a lot of death going on, not just for the little boys. 
Um, but yeah, so we have that decree from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says every boy born to Hebrews is to be cast into the Nile. And then Exodus 2, there's a Levite man and his wife give birth to a baby, baby boy, and they say he's a fine child. I think it's kind of funny that it, they actually say he's a fine child because all parents think their child is fine, a fine child. Everyone else is like, ooh, it's like an alien. Um, but our children were beautiful, but don't tell us if they weren't. Um, but they didn't want to throw him into the Nile, so they put him in a basket and put him in the reeds next to the Nile. Lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter walks by, and she thinks he's a fine child as well. So she takes him in as her own. Really cool is that Moses' uh, mother also comes in, so he raise, she's able to raise Moses in the Egyptian court. Okay, so he doesn't forget his lineage, his Hebrew lineage. In his young adulthood, he starts to see how the Egyptians are treating his people, um, the Hebrews. He doesn't like it so much that one day he kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Pharaoh, rightly so, says, is, is angry. So Moses catch, catches wind of this and flees to Midian. Moses is married there. Uh, he gets with his father-in-law. His father-in-law gives him a job. He's a shepherd. And that's where, when he's in his field, um, tending the sheep or tending the flock, the um, God shows up in a, in a burning bush. So everyone knows that story. God's speaking to Moses in a burning bush. And he's saying, I've heard the cries of my people in Israel, and I'm going to use you to lead them out of, e- out of Egypt. Um, this is where I really resonate with Moses, because he does have a zeal for his people. He wants to serve them and, and, do, and do right. And so do I. I want to teach, I want to love, and I want to serve. And then when it comes to opportunities like this, it's like, but in the, the uh, my kind of, you know, Moses, he stutters a little bit. That's what, that was his excuse. But he eventually obeys, goes back to Egypt. Several plagues later, God eventually leads his people out of Egypt across dry land on the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness. They're going to the promised land. And in the wilderness, tons of things happen. Tons of things like miracles. Um, bread is given to them in the mornings miraculously. They come out of their tents and there's bread all over the ground. For a time, there was quail at night. Water was coming out of rocks. They were winning crazy big military um, ventures. And throughout all of this, even the Ten, Command- the Ten Commandments were given, throughout all of this, one thing was really the common denominator, and that was Israel's grumbling. They're complaining. So much to a point where they say God hates us because he took us out of Egypt. He took us and put us in the wilderness to kill us. We were better, we were better in Egypt. And there was at one point where God says, okay, that's enough. Moses, the generation that exited Egypt by my hand, and you will not enter the promised land, except Caleb and Joseph. They were faithful. So it was, scholars say, in my, in my studies at least, that it was around that time, that news that was given to Moses, where Moses lifts up this prayer. That's what this psalm is. It's a prayer to God. Um, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and starting in verse 1, I'll read all the way through to verse 17, and then we'll observe this together for the rest of our time. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream like a grass that is renewed in the morning. 
In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's an amazing passage, right? I've been um, really into this passage and reading it and memorizing it, I would say, for at least half a year to a year. And so when I was given the opportunity to do this, I said, Psalm 90. I would love to dig into it more to the point to where I can um, do, it, do the sword method on this. But specifically verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I feel like that's the fulcrum of this, of this um, chapter of Psalm 90. And I've really been praying that for my family, that we would understand kind of our place in life and that God would give us wisdom, teach us to number our days so that what he has called us to, uh, we're able to do. And we're, and we're taking those steps in that. Um, and one of, them, one of them being adoption. So we got these last week. If you were here last week, we have little pieces of paper that say the sword method. And it's like a, a, a grid that really helps you out. We don't have these tonight, that it's okay. But we have my wonderful wife, and this whiteboard that we're going to write down our observations, okay? Um, one thing I want to do and that I was warned about is you don't want to pick too much of a big passage because sometimes it can get away from you when we're doing observations like this. So if we could, when we ask these questions, if we could start in verse 1 and work our way down. So if you have an observation in your head, something about man, and it's later on in the chapter, we'll eventually get to that, okay? Probably quicker than, quicker than later, um, but don't worry, uh, we'll use Psalm 90 to get our observations. If you have an observation from another passage in the Bible, that's good too. You can share that. But what we really want to do is focus on this passage and what God has for us here um, tonight. So the first question is, what does this passage teach us about God? So starting in verse 1 and working our way down, what's an observation that you see there? What does this passage teach us about God? He's our refuge, okay? My, my um, translation says dwelling place, but refuge, yes, that's verse one. Awesome. Yes, all of you could just put that and then the verse. Perfect, refuge. So we heard a little bit about the history of Moses and the context of this. So where, where, yeah, where are the Israelites right now when he's praying this prayer? In the wilderness. They're in like outside. They're in nature, but yet, they say, no, God, you are our refuge. So whether we're in Egypt, whether we're in the promised land, 
in the wilderness, you're, you are a refuge. You are a dwelling place. That's good. What else? Everlasting to everlasting, verse 2. Does a different translation say something? Eternity to eternity. What a start of a prayer, really telling God who he is, kind of setting the picture, the framework of this is, this is who you are, eternity to eternity, above time. He's the creator, verse 2. Yes. And if you think about Moses and other books that he wrote, Genesis, Genesis 1 created, created everything. What else? Yeah. Yeah. There's a continual going to him. There's a continual going to him. That's good. Um, our refuge constantly, constantly. That's true. I think we have to write it. No, you're good. No, that's good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you think about him creating time, setting us in it, it kind of messes with your mind that time is his creation. He's above it. Um, yeah, so that's verse 4. So a thousand years in his sight. Or timeless. Yeah, that's good. Timeless. And we can continue. What else? Returns man to dust. It's good. Also in Genesis, it talks about, you know, if, if man is returning to dust, that means we came from dust, right? So he's returning man to dust. So he, he really is painting the picture of who God is, his eternal being. And then instantly goes into kind of who we are. And we'll get to that. That's good. Thank you. What else? Well, verse 7. You kind of put that in man, but it's inferred. That if we're brought to an end by something that God has. So what about? He has anger. Verse 7, he has anger and wrath. That's almost a blind side to culture, Right? Because right now, it's God is love. Anger and wrath is, is not 
That's a no-go. Because anger and wrath means I can't really sin like I want to. But if it's love and it's accepting, there's really no need um, for, me to, to, for me to live a certain way or for me to change. I can essentially do what I want to do when there's, no, when there's no anger or wrath. That's good. He's a jealous God, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What about nothing is secret from him? So he said nothing is secret and he knows all our sin. He knows all. He sees all. Yeah, you can write that. It kind of sends a shiver, right? Nothing is secret. You know, we, all have, we all sin. We all have come to that point. Um, well, maybe. If you're, if you're Christian, you, you, you have come to a point to where you, you know that you are a sinner and that you, um, you need salvation. We'll, we'll definitely speak more about that too in man. There's quite a bit about God in this passage, and it's kind of nice. It's, it's kind of nice just observing who God is and worshiping him. Saying, God, this, this is you. You're, you're eternal. You're, you're above time. You created time. How magnificent, how big are you? It's really good stuff. What about verse 12? It's a request, but in that, he teaches. God teaches. So God teaches, verse 12. Because my thing is, I don't think Moses would really be asking God to do something if God couldn't supply it or do that. So he's saying, teach us this Verse 14. Y'all see that? Verse 14. Compassionate and merciful. His love is unfailing. What verse is that, Nate? 14. 14. Yep. Steadfast love. Verse 14, Tolls. What about verse 15? Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. So God afflicts. Can we say that? God afflicts, verse 15. And he makes glad. So good. Yeah, same verse. This is really good. I forgot to mention, there may not be, you, you may not be able to answer each of these questions for every verse, but, but this verse in particular, this chapter is pretty heavy on God and man, and then it kind of slows down as we get to sins and commands. We're squeezing it out, though. Anything else? I hope just as we're observing it together that, we, that you are thinking about this, thinking about how big he is, because we're about to get to us, and we're small.
but it's okay. <clears throat> Establishes the work of our hands. You said 17? Yes, favor. Yeah, nice. It's my favorite part of tonight, or the night, is watching my kids walk by. Daddy! Shh! This is good. Good observations. I read a book one time of a professor in, in a seminary, gave his students an assignment, and says, take a passage of the Bible, and your assignment is to observe, have 100 observations on my desk by the next day. 100? That's, cr- that's crazy, right? But they did it. They turned it in. He goes, this is fantastic class. Great job. Assignment tonight is find 100 more. That's insane. But really, this is just one step in our, in our Bible study is this observational, um, of this observational task. Really, after observation, you can start asking questions of these as well and kind of branch out, really get into the intended meaning of the passage because all, all passages have an intended meaning. Um, that's interpretation. And then in that interpretation, you're able to apply it to your life. It's meant to be understood. Don't you highly dislike when you say something and what you said is either twisted to what you didn't want to say or something you completely didn't say? I'm looking at my wife. She's like, hmm, yeah. No. Um, same things with the Holy Spirit. So he, he, he's speaking to us through his word, and it's, it's meant to be understood. And this is a great first step, this observation that we're doing. Anything else about God? We are wringing it, wringing it dry. Okay. What does this passage teach us about man? Starting, starting towards the front or towards the top. Verse 3, man is dust, came from dust, or that will return to dust, excuse me. Sorry, I'm making it harder. Returns to dust, yeah. So we are created. Yeah, so man is creation. Is that fair? Man is creation. So that would just be inferred by verse 3, man is creation. Or created, or creation, okay. or creator, <laughs> create. We'll just continue to read. What else? What else does it say? What does it teach us about man? Say it again. Yeah, time impacts us. Yeah, not, yeah, not eternal. Days are numbered. So what, give me some verses here. Verse four, yeah. Yeah, if we're stronger. So our days are numbered, verse four. 
or our time, yeah, our time is, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna confuse you, you're doing great. Yeah, some commentaries were saying, of course, of course you know this, that we don't live to be 70, we can live beyond 70 and 80, Moses himself lived to be 120, um, it's poetic, 70 to 80, ah, it's poetic. But if you are past 80, good job. God's like, oh, you got me. This is recorded, right? It's good. I think there's, I think there's a little bit more. Verse 8. Okay. Yeah. And we are sinners. I mean, it's kind of it's like a blanket. We are sinners. And that's always in light of who God is, right? Because if we don't have God, if we don't have the, the standard, if we don't have the perfection of him, we don't really see our true selves then. Yeah. Verse 7, you would say, Mr. Dale? Unable to withstand the wrath of God. And Moses knew, Moses knew this. He knew that God's anger and his wrath wasn't, wasn't for any reason. It says in... Uh, said we weren't going to go to different books, but you don't have to turn here. But Exodus 34, words of Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then you have his prayer in Psalm 90, we are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath we are dismayed. So he knows that his wrath and his anger, he's not throwing it around willy-nilly, but it's, it's got a target, and its target is our sin. That's good. Unable to stand the wrath of God, verse 7. Anything past verse 8? Our days are full of trouble and sorrow. That's verse 10. Yeah. Maybe your day today was trouble and sorrow. You know? And then coming in here and hearing that, saying, wow, oddly enough, that gives you some encouragement that it's in here, that our days are, are filled with trouble and sorrow. It's because of our sin. Yeah. So verse 12. Did you hear that, Tala? It says we need to be taught. We need wisdom. And I'm, I'm really glad it is something that's taught. Something I've been praying on repeat, God guide me and teach me. 
Um, I'm glad that he says he's going to make us fishers of men because evangelism is hard too. That we don't just all of a sudden just know this, but it takes time in the word and it takes prayer. It takes sitting under, under, his, under his lordship. <clears throat> That's good. God is to be feared. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So God is to be feared under God. Verse 11. That's good, Nate. Yeah, because it's really God dealing out this wrath, dealing out this anger. He created time, and we know our days are numbered, so we shouldn't have to fear, actually, death itself, but it's really the, the one who knows when we're going to pass into that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really good. In the morning, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That's really good. He displayed his love in that while we were a sinner, Christ died for us. Thank you, God. Verse 14, yeah. So he, um, he satisfies us in the morning. Satisfied. It's all right. be honest, the first few times we did sword method in my discipleship group, there was a lot of awkward silence. But it's great because we're reading scripture. <clears throat> and my discipleship group leader is awkward, so it was, he loved it. Thirteen and sixteen were his servants. What about, I'm dropping down to the very end, but verse 17, work of our hands. So, I mean, could you say we have work to do or there's something to be done by man? I'm trying to make it hard on Tali to write that. God gives us work to do. Thank you, Brennan. And it's really not worth doing unless God gives it to us or unless he has favor upon us and establishes the work of our hands, as you see what Moses is saying. I mean, think about that. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt into the promised land. And then he gets the news, Moses, you're not going, you know? So Moses says, okay, in light of eternity, I'm fine. So while I'm here in the wilderness, establish the work of your hands. Establish the work of your hands. 
I think we're getting to the end of end of man. That's a great observation, yeah. Verse 16. Let's teach our children. Vicky just gave us a poster. Um, we're like this. Vicky gave us a poster, and it's got Bible characters around it, and it's the cross in the middle. So for breakfast, we've been going to each one, and they wanted Peter. So I guess he looks cool with a net, and he's a fisherman. And we're on Elijah, and he's like, "No, I want to do Peter." We'll get to him. But yeah, trying to teach my children. Anything else about man? What about, what about sin? Yeah, sins to avoid, or just sins in general. Yeah. Yeah, may put consequence to sin or consequences and then 1 through 17. No, that's good. That's... Yeah. Remember that when we summarize at the end. What does it say about sin? Leads to death. So verse 7 brought to an end. Okay. Nathan, what did you say? Did you say something as well? They're not hidden. Yep, verse 8. Not to waste your days. What what verse is that? Yeah, so what yeah, essentially what yeah, wasting your days. God has something for you and we're not doing it. Those who know the good to do and don't do it, it is sin. Yeah, it, verse 8 re- really does get me because it shows the location of our sin and it's, it's God setting our iniquities before him and our secret sins in the light of his presence. And he says secret sins. So we have sins that we don't want people to know. Secret. And yet God knows them and he sets them before him. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, you have if, you, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, um, but times in your life where your sin is really just right there. And you're like, man, who, and, and it's your sin. And it's like, who, who would want that? 
who would, this is, this is me and I'm done. I, 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 can't, I can't do it. Who would want that? And that's really when God's wrath and his anger is, is imminent and real to you. But thank God that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. He absorbed the wrath and the anger that God has on sin for us. Anything else on sin? They're having so much fun in there. And we're talking about sin and wrath. I'm going to stretch it out too long. What about... We can go back to it if you, if you have another observation. But what about the last question that we ask in the sword method is commands to obey or examples to follow? Yeah. So repentance. Kind of like our last observation of consequences to sin, kind of the whole chapter. And really, I think, Commands to obey or examples to follow is to pray. Verse 1 through 17. I mean, it is a prayer. So maybe to pray. What do y'all think? Is that is an okay observation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, God is our dwelling place. Verse 1, and it should be continually. It's for all generations. I've grown convicted in that for some odd reason, discipleship to me for a, a time was a a young man who just became a Christian and I'm going to pour into. And I got babies at the house and my wife at the house um, who also need the gospel and poured into and my love and care and washing them with God's word. So really, if you're a, a husband and a daddy in here like me, that's our first relationship that who we should really be discipling. Because in that, that's the generations. It'll, it'll continue. What else? Any commands to obey, examples to follow? What about... Yeah, so be satisfied in God and sing.
That's good, yeah. Verse 12. She says, verse 12, we have an urgency. I think that comes with numbering your days. Or knowing that our days are numbered. Yeah. Yep, seeking or praying for a heart of wisdom. I didn't have that. Thank you. We're finishing up. The board is getting full. So our homework is to find a hundred more observations. Be up all night. Verse 17. You want to read that for us? Yeah. Yeah. So we have stuff to do, but he's our dwelling place. So as we're going about our days, at work, school, chores, things of that nature, we have him. So as we're working with our hands, he's establishing that work. I don't know about you, I don't want to do anything without God, without God's providence and, his, and him working through. That's fine. Yeah, essentially echoes the Great Commission, verse 17. Because what is the work of our hands? I mean, here, expanding God's kingdom across the street and around the world, how we do that is the Great Commission. God is drawing people to himself. He's reconciling people to himself, and we get to be a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you have the right view of God is really when you can understand man and salvation and his, and his plan. Thank you, Trey. I've been hearing some really good summations, so that's what we're about to get to. So when it comes to the sword method, one thing you want to be able to do, and something that we do in our discipleship groups, is that we try to think of a concise statement that we can kind of have in our heads. So when we go about our weeks, and then we teach others what we just learned, um, we're able to maybe fire off that sentence to start the conversation, or something you can meditate on more. So does anyone 
would anyone like to, I mean, I have one as well, um, but would anyone like to give kind of a main point? I mean, I, I mean Trey, Trey did, Mr. Wayne did. <clears throat> and I'm totally fine with those. What about this? Considering God's bigness and man's smallness teaches us that our days are numbered. On, honestly, that could be the main point, and you have subpoints as well. But are numbered and places an urgency to do what God has called us to do. You think that essentially sums it up? The, the internality, the, the, the bigness. I, I try to think of just a simple word that we can all understand. God is big. And we're his children, so we could use really simple words like that. God, you are big. You know, we come to him with extra theological words. And he's like, man, you're, you're just big, and I'm small, and I need you. I don't think um, we are to literally number our days out. I just have a few closing thoughts, and then we'll pray. I don't think we're literally meant to number our days out because you don't know when your last days are. You don't know when you're going to close your eyes for the last time. Um, so while we're here, let us pray verse 12. God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom and satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. I believe there's a reason why Moses uh, describes the end of our lives like nighttime, uh, when the grass withers and fades. If our life were a day and at night we're dead or the end, then the morning is really all we have. Our pastor, nearly every week, says today is the day of salvation. Today, while we have this in all of God, today is the day of salvation. We've learned from this psalm that our sin is set before God and his wrath and anger will come like a flood because of it. Be satisfied in God's steadfast love. The steadfast love displayed in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The perfect Son of God took our place on the cross and absorbed God's wrath and anger on sin, wiping us clean from our debt to God. Reconciled us to God. So by repenting, turning from your sins and trusting Jesus for salvation and surrendering your life to him, you will no longer experience the flood of God's wrath, but the beautiful crimson flood of Jesus' blood. 